we're close to the end of chapter four and uh, we'll try to come to an end of the chapter and so if we might go a little longer in terms of not doing the om chanting as much we'll see how that feels when we get there so far krishna has shared with us explained to us infused this understanding in us that our life our expression everything that we do if we're able to transform and transmute that reality into an offering into a yagya into some sort of a sacrificial ritual then everything we do becomes divine everything we do does not create and entangle us further in karma but what does that really mean for us and he's given us very practical and multiple variations of what that might mean and look in our lives now he comes to the very end of what happens now that the sacrifice once we understand once we know that this yagya is taking place daily every thought is a yagya every action is a yagya anything i do in this world is just me offering myself more and more into a greater reality then what's our next step and here he says by eating the blessed food which is the prasad left from any of these spiritual fire rituals one attains brahman now what does he mean by that of course he's not talking about the prasad that we might eat the vibhuti that we might eat after or the mithai that might come after a satsang or after a wonderful little havan that has happened that's not going to give us brahman but that's also very symbolic now let's look at the concept of a yagya just once again breaking it up right you've got us the the ones who are offering the ones who are in kind of getting into this act of self offering you've got what is it that we are offering whether it is our when as krishna said whether it's our possessions whether it's our actions whether it's our sense stimulations whether every thought that comes to us whether it's our understanding whatever it is we're offering then we're offering to something of course we could be offering to the infinite omnipresent formless spirit as he said or you could be offering to a form you could be offering to your guru you could be offering to krishna you could be offering to any one of the forms where the divine has concentrated himself to you and a relationship has been created and then of course the important part is there is the fire now the fire traditionally which is agni agni is the messenger who brings the messages of the human mankind to the divine to the gods and so that's what agni symbolizes that he takes what we offer and he transforms it if i put into fire something solid the fire is going to break that up and it's going to transform it into something subtle and it's going to rise up and so that uh, whatever i've offered in has reached so to speak the heavens and so agni that symbol of fire has always been used but fire has that ability to break something you offer and transform and purify it into its essence and so for us what is that fire that fire is our energy that fire is our prana the fire is our intention the fire is the fire of our wisdom the fire of divine yearning will power our will power anything that has the power to transform 
one activity into the other. One intention, it takes an intention and it transforms it into something. Now, anytime you offer something into the fire, when it breaks down, it's something is left behind. And this is what Krishna is talking about as the prasad. By eating, which is by receiving, by taking into us, by consuming the blessed food left from any one of these spiritual fire rituals, one attains Brahman. And what is this prasad? What is left behind after one has realized and acted in accordance to the understanding that life is a yagya, life is offering ourselves. And this is where Yogananda's eight manifestations of God come in. And Yogananda said, God comes to us. Now, when we think I'll attain Brahman, you know, we're, we're waiting for some cosmic moment. But Brahman's going to be attained little by little. Every activity, everything, every time a yagya is performed, a prasad is given from the divine, is left behind, the purified act that is left behind. And if we're able to experience that, and that's what eating it means, to be able to experience it. And these eight aspects are peace, calmness, bliss or joy, love, wisdom, power, light and sound. Now, yagya, when it's done, especially in terms of our meditation, which is very much a yagya, it's probably the most powerful yagya. In fact, that's what Krishna will tell us right in the next verse. And when you offer rightly, correctly, when that yagya is performed well, the way to know if the yagya has been performed well is to look for these eight aspects, these eight manifestations. How do I feel? What am I experiencing now? Even I do an activity well, with no desire, with my intention clear, offering it as much as a seva to the divine, it's like that peace, that contentment that bliss, that great love, great power. I mean, Ariyani and I are right now in the midst of offering as much as we can this large event that we're putting together. And it's just there's so much energy. I mean, on one hand, it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm tired. My mind's getting foggy. But the moment the next thing needs to be figured out, boom, there's just power that flows through you when you do it right. And then you know something's right here. Because you don't always know. Is this, you know, am I doing it right? Is this yagya being offered well? But it's by the prasad, the way Christ said, by its fruits shall you know the tree. And so by the prasad, by what's left behind after I have performed the yagya, I know. And that is God. That experience is Brahman. That joy is Brahman. That peace is Brahman. So now as you start performing your life, more and more as a self-offering, look for these eight manifestations. Remember them. Joy, peace, calmness, love, power, wisdom. Suddenly more and more insights come. How to do this, how to fix this, how to move forward. And of course, light and sound, especially in our meditations, they manifest, but they can also manifest outwardly, where you hear God's vibration even behind His creation. And then he says, even the blessings of this world come not to him who gives nothing of himself. So Krishna is now saying, essentially saying, don't think that the spiritual path is something like, ah, oh, this is different. Even if you want to succeed in the world, you have to offer yourself to the world. 
there's no you can't be sitting on the couch and just saying okay i'm some you know i want the success that i seek i want this that i seek i want that that i seek even then to the world you have to give so for anybody who looks to the spiritual path as a the world's too hard you know <laughs> let's go to the spiritual path where everything should be easier well <laughs> it's much harder not because it's meant to be but because the world is only asking you for something but the spiritual path requires you to give it all and then he says how then can he hope for happiness in a better world if we're unable to on the physical level learn the law it's about learning these laws what i give what i receive this is whether it's for the world whether it's for success whether it's for love whether it's for human anything or whether it's for a divine reality what you give is what you will receive what you offer into the yagya is what prasad is going to remain there and when you give to the world you receive the duality of the world when you give to god you receive his eight manifestations but in both cases that yagya has to happen whether with the world whether with god and sometimes we might think and we look around and we look at people and we say you know this person is not doing much but why is he so successful or he's getting all the money and he's getting all the accolades and sometimes we feel people don't deserve what they're receiving they're receiving more than they deserve but know this for a fact that if somebody sitting on a couch and still seems to be doing well is because somewhere somehow <laughs> he's put something into motion i know it seems unfair sometimes but remember what krishna says early on in the gita oh arjuna you and i both have lived many lives you remember not and i remember them all and so the universe remembers everything we've done so any time you think you know you're not getting what's due to you also know that there's other things at play here things that we've all put into motion because energy that yagya that fire just a physical law energy can neither be created nor destroyed it just transforms and it transforms into our karma again and again so know this for a fact whether the worldly life whether a spiritual life self offering is the bottom line the many ways of offering up the ego are declared in the vedas as through the mouth of brahma Now what is the mouth of Brahma? The mouth of Brahma is the Brahmanari which is the Shushumna. So what Krishna is saying here is that there are many ways to offer ourselves. He's given us several already. The Vedas go into it in even in a more elaborate way, but he's saying all of them are of offering up the ego through the mouth of Brahma. At the end of the day, this is where the actual work is going on. no matter of course it has to happen outwardly as well but it's happening in the mouth of brahma it's happening in the brahmanari until we don't get into the shushumna and the energy isn't being moved upward no true spiritual progress takes place the way our guru says that knowing their true purpose that means the true purpose of all rituals of all yagyas which is the upward self offering you will be freed from all karmic bondage so this is the other difference here when you give to the world when your offering is to the world the energy goes down and out and when you give to the divine the energy goes in and up and so again that's another gauge for us to know okay am i doing this right 
when you do this and you feel uplifted and the energy rises and you feel more full, you know that something is happening there. And when the energy goes down and more binding, more contracting, the thoughts are more about yourself, then the energy is going out into the world. One way or the other, it's an offering. Either we offer ourselves, when I offer myself to fear or to lust or to desire, boom, that's where the energy goes. When I offer myself to joy, when I offer myself to expansion, that's where the energy goes. And so that's what we need to look, is the ritual. Because everything's a ritual. Brushing my teeth is a ritual. Eating food is a ritual. It all in, includes in it actions that are repetitive. Just as how rituals are, they're created so that we repeat something over and over again until it becomes our second nature. So we repeat the rituals of self-offering and this is how I know what's the true purpose of my self-offering. Is it an upward offering or is it a downward offering? Because once you understand that and once your energy begins to offer itself upward constantly, that is when you will be freed from all karmic bondage. And this is what Kriya Yoga does. The very purpose of Kriya Yoga is to awaken that upward flow of energy where it burns, that's the fire, where it burns the seeds of our past karmas. The inner spiritual fire ceremony. Now, he's not mincing words here anymore. The inner spiritual fire ceremony of raising awareness is superior O scorcher of foes Arjuna, to any outward act of self-offering. So at the end of the day, it's wonderful. We need to have, because the inner and the outer are constantly, uh, you can say, leaning on each other. But at the end of the day, that inner action is superior to any outward act. Essentially, Krishna is saying, do what you need to do, but without meditation without also knowing what the real, where the real transformation is taking place, it's going to be harder. Not saying it's going to be impossible, but it's going to be harder. And then he says, in this wisdom alone, this wisdom, which is what? That the inner spiritual fire ritual or ceremony of raising awareness is superior to any outward act of offering. In this wisdom alone is all karma consumed. Once again, he's coming back to the same thing of meditation and of techniques like Kriya Yoga of, or others. I'm sure there are many, as long as they're an upward offering of yourself. Say the stanza in case someone... All right. Uh, we're now on stanza 34, verse 34, if I haven't been saying the numbers. Now, this is one of my favorite ones. Understand this above all, Krishna says. By surrender of self-will, by sensitive inward and outward questioning, and by service, those who have realized the truth will be able to convey their wisdom to you. Now, again, so you see how Krishna just touches these. He just arcs through all these realities and he's touching them again and again. He touches outward realities, he touches the inward meditative reality, and he's brought it back to the concept of the Guru. This is what he is saying. Let's listen for it clearly again. Understand this above all. Above all. <laughs> I've been telling you a lot of good things, but now I'm telling you something above all. By surrender of self-will to the wise. 
into the wise here being the guru from whom you are going to receive he who has wisdom by surrender of self will one he's naming three things by questioning he says but the questioning here isn't the doubting or the kind of um, you know wanting to kind of, you know take somebody on yeah you show me this and prove this to me by the constant asking by the constant corresponding and he says it here by sensitive inward and outward questioning of the wise second and by service to the wise these are the three things those who have realized the truth or your guru or anybody else that you're connecting with will be able to convey their wisdom to you this is very much the turning point of any devotee's life because in the beginning we come with the thirst to know and to understand and it's a very intellectual process and we want things and we start the spiritual journey with a lot of enthusiasm but you see a lot of people are unable to a maintain that enthusiasm b maintain the deep experiences that they have and that's usually around the time that they then say what's next you know what's the next technique who's the next guru what other teaching is out there for me because most people don't get to these three stages they get to the fact that okay i'm aware i know what's happening i'm meditating every day but understand this above all by surrender of self will so first step just this sunday somebody asked us the question we did a question and answer satsang you know discipleship discipleship means surrendering your ego and your likes and dislikes to the guru how does one you know surrender your likes and dislikes to the guru and of course we gave the answer of the mother and child and i want to reverse that i gave we gave the example of how as the mother when you love the child you surrender all your likes and dislikes to her but let's just look at it from the other perspective the child has likes and dislikes in fact the child is only guided by its likes and dislikes it has not yet developed discrimination right so if a child says to a mother i don't want to eat rice and dal i just want to eat chocolate for breakfast chocolate for dinner chocolate for lunch all the time chocolate which children are very prone to saying that's what they want so what do you think the mother is going to do the mother is going to say no you're not you're going to eat exactly what i give you and so until the child has learned because the child only knows likes and dislikes we've only built for lifetimes those things that give us sense pleasure that's just been unfortunately a guiding principle for most of our decisions and actions so like the child who thinks i just want to eat chocolate you know what's the big deal here but the mother the guru knows what you need when you need it and it's the job of the child to surrender its will to the to its parent and so in this same process we need to surrender say for example the mother says there is no mother there are no parents this child is by itself and now has to figure its own life out what is it going to do it's going to eat chocolate all the time it's not going to know how to cook it's going to go and you know try to put its hand on fire it's going to go and eat dirt it's going to do a lot of things <laughs> that are either going to end up you know or practically killing the child or uh, very badly harming the child because what's going to happen if it eats chocolate one day two day three day then the next day it's it has this pain in its stomach and what what does a child know when it has pain nothing it doesn't understand cause and effect 
the child's just going to cry. It's the mother's job to come and say, oh, I think it must be because you ate so much chocolate or it must be because you did this. It's the mother's role to bring in wisdom of cause and effect. So similarly, we are very much like these, this child, only guided by our likes and dislikes. And so we say, we just want this, we just want that. And it requires the guru who knows the cause and effect, who like Krishna says, you and I have lived many lives. You remember not, but I remember them all. And I know exactly what you did and I can see the trajectory. I can see the intricate web of causality and effect that has brought you to this moment. Listen to me. And so the surrendering of self-will is absolutely necessary. So a spiritual aspirant who thinks in the beginning, I can do it by myself and it's just everyone, I'm reading these wonderful stories about autobiography of a yogi and all these saints with all these powers. I'm going to get these powers and I'm going to find the same thing. But until they get to the point, and we all started that way to a certain degree, but until you get to the point of, ah, now I need to surrender my will to something greater, nothing's going to happen. Secondly, this concept of questioning. But this questioning, again, it's not combative. It's not like, oh, I can't understand this. I have so many doubts. It's not that. It's, what do I do now? Where do you want me to go? How should I do this? How do I surrender myself? Show me how can I develop more devotion. And it's this constant conversation. It's this correspondence with your guru, with the wise, with he who has already attained the freedom that you are seeking. This is another must, which people don't build that relationship because many people think they don't need to. Well, first of all, they're averse to surrender. And then second of all, the relationship is just between them and their ego. What do I want to do now? Ah, I want to do this. And now what do I want to do now? I want to do this. But that same questioning, that, that question is actually happening all the time. We don't realize that that questioning is happening. We constantly refer back to the ego and then receive sanction from the ego to perform act actions. Similarly, now we need to receive sanction from the divine, from the guru. And finally, and in many ways, most importantly, is to have some way to serve the Guru. Again, Narayani and I have seen this again and again, no matter how many times, if people don't find a way to do seva, chances that they stay strong and go deeper on the spiritual life begin to dwindle. You know, and that seva is not about outward act. It's not about what you do. You could find a way to do seva for your guru at home thinking that I'm serving my guru and I'm serving my family. It's all about the inner, that's why the surrender and the questioning comes first so that the attunement comes with the guru. And then who you serve is who you become. There are a lot of people out there who could say they're serving the guru, but they're just serving their own agendas. So it's not about, it's not about, oh, I need to be sharing the Guru's teachings or philosophies. That's not the seva. The seva is this idea that I give to the Guru everything that there is. And first I learned to give in actual ways where it's clear the relationship of how that seva is being performed. It's clear that this is in fact for the Guru and I have no personal agenda here. But then little by little you develop the very consciousness of seva. So Krishna is helping us understand that, yes, you can do these other things knowing the techniques, knowing the laws, knowing and understanding the spiritual path is important. But understand above all 
these three things surrender communication and seva to your guru because then he says in verse 35 having received that wisdom from a true guru o pandava you will never again fall into delusion now this is where the caveat is you won't receive wisdom by learning by understanding by reading otherwise krishna would just say go read go listen to the words of the wise and just read their words and of course everything's written it's clearly written right here i mean we're not even being able to receive krishna until we surrender to him we communicate with him and we serve him we won't receive from krishna you won't receive from the gita what krishna is trying to tell us you may understand it but you won't receive his power and this is the most important thing this is what he then says having received this wisdom because this wisdom is an actual experience and power that is transferred from the guru to you and it is only transferred as krishna says when these three conditions are fulfilled then and only then you will never again fall into delusion for you will behold all creation contained within yourself and then behold it in me beyond all creation isn't that just beautiful once that wisdom comes in that's the experience that you will start to feel you will behold all creation in you and then beyond creation itself you will behold the lord you will behold krishna and that's what the saints are here to give us not techniques not teachings those are vehicles of their consciousness part of surrendering to the guru is listening to what he has said and doing what he's asked of you but they are also just parts of are you willing to surrender if you do it then he knows that that surrender is real is true and if we don't do it we say we love the guru we love the guru but i don't want to meditate every day and i don't want to energize and i don't want to do this and i don't think that that's so important well, then you know that surrender is just superficial even the worst of sinners can using the raft of wisdom safely cross the ocean of delusion who are the worst of sinners here worst of sinners is even he who has such heavy karmic debt you don't have to like come to this with all your slate already clean even if you carry heavy karmas from the past even with all that baggage using the raft of wisdom now using the raft of again context of wisdom is that which you have received from your guru that is wisdom anything else is a mental construct that which you've received from your guru is wisdom and using that wisdom as a raft you can then cross the ocean of delusion i mean just it's beautiful beyond you know measure because there's no there's no mincing of words there's no maybes there's no shyads there's very clear ye karo do this first he's building it up from what we need on how we use our own will and our own offering but then he's saying now you have to get into attunement when somebody was asking our guru paramanth yogananda his disciples you know um oh when will i be free in this life how long will i take 
So seemingly that's a very important question to most devotees and disciples. And Yogananda rather than kind of, he addressed one or two, but then he just kind of said a blanket statement. He says, you will all have smooth sailing. And smooth sailing, especially from this perspective, the raft over the ocean of delusion, you will all have smooth sailing if you stay in tune. And that becomes the rock upon which your spiritual foundation is built. Your attunement to your guru, your attunement to someone who has attained that wisdom, that freedom that you seek. Whether it, it could be Krishna, very easily. But then that attunement has to be very strong. Not just, I love Krishna. But what does he say? What does he want me to do? What is he asking of me? How can I correspond with him? How can I serve him? What does it mean to serve Krishna? Verily there is... Oh, sorry, 37. O Arjuna, as fire burns wood to ashes, so does the fire of wisdom burn to ashes all one's karma. Wisdom itself burns karma. Because what is karma for? For us to learn. If you've learned the lesson, karma is not needed anymore. It's that simple, <laughs> even though it seems quite complicated. Verily, there is nothing in this world so sanctifying as wisdom. In due course of time, every devotee who is successful in his practices will realize in his own self the truth of this statement. So Krishna is very clearly saying, I'm saying all these things, they sound wonderful, they sound amazing, but at the end of the day, in due course, every devotee who is successful in his practices will attest to this truth. When we're reading these words, these are Krishna's words that have come to us through Paramahansa Yogananda and through Swami Kriyananda. They have the attestment of their own experience that this is true. So you see, it gains more power when the divine is coming through the attestment. Of course, when Krishna says this will happen and that will happen, it's like, wow, wonderful things are going to happen. But then when it comes through the complete faith and conviction and attestment of another soul says, this is true. Verily I declare unto you, this is true. Then it's like, wow, now I can do this. Now I know how to do this. Not just Krishna, but everyone who has come after him is saying the very same thing. The person of devotion who is engrossed in the infinite, having brought his senses under control, achieves wisdom and gains that which he knows at once to be perfect peace. And bringing everything back together, we've talked about needing to be engrossed in the infinite. We've talked about bringing our senses under control, which is very much another big part of that discipline, part of that surrender, because it is through our senses that our likes and dislikes express themselves most clearly. And we just have three more. The ignorant... The person who lacks devotion and the doubt-ridden, all these must perish. The man of vacillating temperament finds no happiness in this world or the next. For him, supreme bliss is not possible. Vacillating temperament means what? This makes me happy, this makes me sad. This is good, this is bad. Anybody who cannot achieve that state of even-minded contentment, one way or the other, 
supreme bliss is not possible and he will not find happiness in this world nor will he find happiness in the higher realms of the astral worlds and so that important understanding of how much does my do my emotions and my feelings and my um, kind of attachments to worldly happiness or expectations from the world how much do they vacillate and the more you can see, wow, when I'm happy, I'm ah, and when I'm sad, I'm like depressed and I'm down in the dumps. When I'm good to people, I'm just the sweetest and I'm the kindest. And when I'm bad to people, I'm just the worst. So these are, this is what will tell you how much you vacillate. And when you start kind of closing this gap where the vacillation becomes less and less, where the happiness is also contained and is also being expressed in one way. And the sadness is also in a certain sense contained where you know that the sadness is not only temporary, but it's just part of the same purification process that the happiness is as well. That God can come to me in both forms and that I must accept him in both forms to know him in his true form. And so when that vacillation completely comes to that point where you get into the mouth of Brahma, that's where the vacillation stops. Once you're there in the Brahma Nadi, that's where supreme bliss begins to become our only experience. O winner of true wealth, Arjuna, one who has dissolved all his karmas in oneness with God and has obliterated his every doubt by wisdom, becomes completely self-possessed. Ego-free, no further action can entangle him. And that's that state of complete freedom from karma that the saints have. They can perform whatever will be like writing on water. No footprints are left behind. And whatever good karma they do accrue, because everything they do, as uh, uh, Krishna said before, then gets passed on to their disciples. And that's where also that attunement is so important. Because then you do receive what they have already generated for us. And finally, verse 42, as we end chapter 4 together, Arise, therefore, O descendant of Bharat, Arjuna. Arise and take shelter in the greatest science of yoga. Slash to pieces with the sword of wisdom the doubt you feel in your heart as to the nature of the self and of who you are in reality. Arise to that highest science of yoga slash to pieces any doubt that arises in your heart. And that slashing to pieces will also take place through attunement with the Guru, through your practices, through understanding that all that I do can become a yagya, can become a self-offering, and then you become self-possessed, which means finally we become masters of ourselves. And this is what all saints are asking us to become masters of ourselves. We finally learn, ah, this is who I am. This has always been my true nature. Never for once did I stray from this, except in the moment of getting delusioned and getting identified with the more temporal realities of my personality. Anyway, with that, we end chapter four. Wow. <laughs> we made One it. We made it. <laughs> <laughs> we went on for a while, but we made it. Okay. And I was thinking, how are we going to put all this 
into our daily lives throughout this coming week and what thought that is right now helping me a lot especially these days where so much intense activity is required from so many of us i'm really focusing on the attitude i put in every yagya in every activity in every meditation whenever i sit so i'm right now basing the success of my day according to how i feel at the end of the day do i feel that the attitude in which i made that phone call was right the attitude in which i wrote that email how i cooked in the middle of the chaos how i cleaned the house how i served how i tried to i tried to support my guru bhais and if i can have that sense of you know even if the end result wasn't as good but if i know that the attitude behind that action was as pure as i could with the the best intention i could then i know that god was by my side independently of the result of that action or that um you know whatever happens from that activity so i think this is a very almost crucial to make of that yagya of that self offering a really successful one because it's not about all the things that we are offering into the fire into our meditations into our activities but how are we doing them so maybe throughout the day you want to reduce the number of things that you are doing and giving more quality more attention to each activity each interaction if you really want to develop more joy in your life perform each activity with joy if you want to be more devotional and develop that sense of devotional self offering put more patience into your actions put more heart into it be more kind so base the success of every activity according to the state of mind and the attitude that you have put into it focus in the kind of energy you bring into the project you bring into the group you bring into your kids swami kriyananda says i only concentrate in the energy i'm putting out nothing else matters to me if i'm in front of a person i'm only focused in the energy i'm giving in that into that person so in this way if we start doing everything with the right attitude i think every yagya every act of self offering is already a success 
because God watches the heart. And that's something we cannot bribe God with the number of activities we do and how busy we began. So check those things out. And even in your service to the Guru, right now I have chosen a very particular um, prayer for Master, for my Guru. Now I'm kind of asking him, if, is there anything that needs to be done and no one else wants to do it, please assign it to me. I will be very happy to do that, that no one wants or people feel is not important and especially if it's not going to be seen, I want that. And I have to tell you, uh, there is something very special that happens when we surrender to the Guru to that extent where like we experience what it means to really put every like and dislike and expectation and desire completely aside and just allow the Guru to give us those little things that no one wants to be part, no one once there but they are important they are making a difference so find your ways of what kind of attitude you want to live your life and i think that was the main point for 